Good morning. Welcome to Central Baptist Church. Uh, what a blessing it is to get to hear last week J.D.'s testimony. Today, get to see him baptized. And a little later on, like Cody said, uh, joining with us here at, at a member, as a member at Central Baptist Church. Um, thankful to Emily and Shanti, the team, for leading worship this morning. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, these are good days to be a part of what God is doing at Central Baptist Church. Amen. Um, I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to preach God's word for us this morning. Um, this morning we're going to round out our sermon series on the core values of Central Baptist Church. This is the final one. So uh, today we've been, we've been working through over the last year and a half or so a list of 10 core values of Central Baptist Church. And these are characteristics that we believe are, are characteristics of a biblical, biblically healthy church. So every so often over the last year or so, we've been working through each of these 10 values. Biblical exposition, sincere worship, covenantal membership, intentional fellowship, bold evangelism, directional discipleship, reaching the nations. And today we are going to hit our final core value, kingdom partnership. I said 10, there's eight. Kingdom partnership, that last one today. Let me pray and we'll jump into it. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the gospel that gives us hope, that gives us life, that gives us direction. You've given us salvation through your Son. It's that we rejoice in this morning. Thank you for this group that you've gathered together to, to gather around your word together. Help us, Lord. I pray that you would work in our midst this morning. Teach us how to be faithful followers of you. Teach us how to be faithful and joyful kingdom partners together for the sake of your glory. I see things in Jesus' name. Amen. So partnerships are a, a special kind of relationship. Uh, there's a unique quality of relationship that comes with working together side by side with someone for a common purpose and a common goal. And I'd say this is especially true in Christ and what we're calling kingdom partnerships. But, but back up for a second. Just in general, I'd say this is true. That there's a unique quality of relationship that comes by having a common purpose, a common goal. If you think of maybe a sports team that you've been a part of or a, maybe a workplace or some other organization you've been a part of, there's a, a unique bond that comes with working closely together with someone. However, at the same time, uh, not every partnership is always a good relationship, right? Uh, we're going to put a video up on the screen here in just a second, but anybody here a basketball player? Shay, so Shay, what would, what would this relationship be like if you were playing basketball and you've got a wide open layup, wide open shot, and over your shoulder comes a teammate that blocks your shot? What would that, what would that feel like for you? Yeah, why? Because you're supposed to be on my team, right? Well, here's a video where exactly that happens. Watch this. So that wouldn't be a good feeling at that moment, right? Your, your relationship, your partnership with that teammate would be pretty strained at that moment. I mean, what are you doing? Why are you blocking my shot? You can imagine talking that through in the locker room afterwards. But what was the problem? Watch this again. Oh, maybe not. What's, anybody notice the problem there? Shooting at the wrong basket. And so there's something that happened in that relationship there 
that made that partnership not quite as sweet as it could have been. Members of Central Baptist Church, God has designed our lives, He's designed every Christian life to exist in partnership, in relationship with other members of His kingdom. That's inevitable. Both individually and corporately, we exist as partners with many, many others in the kingdom. And I think there's potential for our relationships, both here in this room and with other Christians and other churches, to be deep and genuine and soul-nourishing, God-glorifying, kingdom-advancing, joy-provoking relationships. And I think it's possible for our relationships here in this room and with other Christians and churches to feel like that one that was in the video. I believe that hinges on whether or not we embrace and operate according to God's design for kingdom partnerships. So my purpose in preaching this morning is to urge and equip us to experience joy by operating according to God's design for kingdom partnerships. If you have a bulletin with you this morning, uh, you can see that you've got a note sheet inside that I hope will be helpful in tracking along with the sermon. You see the title of the sermon today is Four Qualities of a Joyful Kingdom Partnership. And just below that is a definition that, that I'll be using for kingdom partnership this morning. Uh, you've got that at the top. You've got a couple blanks there to fill in, so track with me here. The definition I'm using for kingdom partnerships is this. It's a joyful cooperation between Christian individuals and institutions to advance the rule and reign of Christ in the hearts of people among every nation to the glory of God. Kingdom partnership is a joyful cooperation between Christian individuals and institutions to advance the rule of reign of Christ in the hearts of people among every nation to the glory of God. So let's get into the text. If you've got a Bible with, this, with you this morning, you can open with me to the book of Philippians. As much as any other book in the Bible, I think that, that this book, Philippians, brings out the heart and mind of a, of a kingdom partner. If you were with us last week, you, uh, you heard Pastor Joseph teach from the book of Philippians and, and showed us how throughout this book it's saturated with the words joy and rejoicing. And I think there's a connection here. Before we get into our text that we're going to be working through this morning, I want to show you uh, how this letter starts. The very first mention of joy in the book of Philippians. Start reading with me at the beginning. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because what? Because of your partnership in the gospel. You make my prayer with joy because of this. Because you all are partners in the gospel. So Paul was in prison at the time of writing this letter. And even then, says, the things that are going on in our relationship... Those joyful things. So, uh, like I said, joyful partnerships all over the place in this book. So there's a number of places that we could, we could drill into, and we will kind of jump around this morning. But our, our home and our base text, the place that we're going to look 
this morning to see four qualities of a joyful kingdom partnership is Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Would you read those with me? Chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Paul says this. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Four qualities of a joyful kingdom partnership. The first one, our kingdom partnerships will be joyful if we cherish the gospel of the kingdom. If we cherish the gospel of the kingdom. These are strange words, huh? Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, on the sacrificial offering of your faith, even then I'll rejoice. This is the foundation of everything else that we're going to talk about. See, at the time of this letter, Paul was in a, a hard spot. And the idea of him being poured out as a drink offering, his, his life being squeezed out of him, that was actually a real and present danger. Seems like the Philippians were also in a tough spot themselves. But here we see Paul driving deep and identifying what, is, what, what it is about the Philippians that he finds most precious and most valuable. He tells them, it's your faith. And that's what I'm willing to be poured out for. Their faith. It's faith that provided the initial grounds for their relationship in the first place. Faith that gave them a, a common purpose. It's faith that instructed the directions of their life. Faith that bonded their lives together. Faith that sustained Paul's heart to seek their welfare. And vice versa, says, you should be the same towards me. Faith in what? Faith in what we call the gospel. I want to point out really quickly, you might ask, if Paul calls this a, a partnership in the gospel, why are we choosing to call it a, a kingdom partnership? Like, why, why the difference in, in wording there? And that, that's a good question. It's a fair question. As far as I'm concerned, they mean exactly the same thing. There's no uh, difference in what we're trying to communicate there. But the, the switch in my mind happens because, you see, the, the gospel is what we're building on. Pastor, I would say the gospel is what we're building with. The kingdom is what we're building. So say the, the gospel is why we are building. The kingdom is what we are building. What does that mean? Well, we, we defined it above. that The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Christ in the hearts of people. We're saying that this morning. His rule and his reign will ever sin. That state where Christ is the Lord of our life. He's the one that we look to as our shepherd and our leader and our guide. And he's conforming us into his image by his spirit. When that happens, that is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom comes. Christ comes to rule and reign in the heart of a person. And we hear and we believe and we learn to live in a way that with the gospel. 
Just a couple of references here that we'll put up on the screen that will help further clarify the connection here between gospel and kingdom. Mark chapter 1 says, Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. says, The kingdom is at hand, so repent and believe the gospel. The next one, Matthew 4, verse 23. Right before the Sermon on the Mount, it says this, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming what? Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Interestingly, the word gospel wasn't originally a a Christian term. Actually, originally it wasn't even a a spiritual term at all. It was a military term. It was used at that time when an empire that had an ambition for conquest would go out and conquer a new land. They'd have victory over that place and then authority over it. They would send these messengers out into all the towns and all the villages. And this messenger would, would stand up in the community and he would say something like this. He would say, good news to you, people of Kansas City. You have come under the authority of Rome. And you are now invited to bow the knee and enjoy all the blessings of this kingdom or die. The Philippians were, were ex-Roman military people, and so this is exactly what would come to mind when they heard this term, gospel. The proclamation of victory and authority of the king and an invitation into the kingdom. And this is so much like the gospel that we believe, is it not? We believe that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. We believe that he's the firstborn of all creation, the rightful ruler with authority over everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We believe that he is Lord over every human Lord. We believe he is king over every human king. We believe that he has triumphed over every power of darkness, putting them to open shame by his death on the cross. And we believe that by his resurrection, he conquered the power of death itself. He put death itself in submission to him. He has no rival, no equal, no one and nothing that stands against him. And anyone, anywhere who repents of their sin and puts their faith in him will be saved. And they will become citizens of his kingdom forever. Central Baptist Church, is this the gospel that you believe? This is the gospel that Apostle Paul believed, the gospel that the church in Philippi believed, the gospel that's been passed down for 2,000 years through individuals and churches and has made its way to us. And by God's grace, it's made its way to not only us, but, but Christians and churches in this neighborhood, in this city, and to the ends of the earth. And here's the point. Each of them are citizens of the same kingdom. Therefore, all of us, whether we like it or not, are on the same team. Sure, yes, you might think there are some that call themselves Christians that preach a different gospel, and that's true, and that's significant, but that's a different sermon. Today, focus with me on the ones with whom we have this basic faith in common. And hear me say this, we are on the same team. 
If we confess the gospel of the same kingdom, and if we serve the same king, we are partners. Partners in this common faith, this common gospel, this common kingdom. So if you're a if you're willing to do this, uh, I always hated it whenever preachers did this whenever I was growing up, made you actually say something in the sermon. Uh, I won't make you look at anybody in the eyes, but just, just repeat these words after me as if you're saying these to everyone else in the room who's in Christ. I think this is what Paul was saying to the Philippians. He says, your faith is valuable to me. Say that, your faith is valuable to me. What would that do to your relationships if that was on your mind every time you walked in this door? Every time you sat across the dinner table with someone who's in Christ? Your faith is valuable to me. I think that's at least in part what Paul was communicating in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. He says, man, I'm poured out as a drink offering on your faith, I'll be happy with that. Your faith is that valuable. And he tells him in verse 18, at least to the Philippians, he says, likewise, you should be the same way towards me. So here's the point. If all of our relationships are built on the same gospel, and there is only one gospel means that Jesus only has one team, one people, and one kingdom. And the kingdom is composed of everyone, everywhere, who has sincere faith in the message of the gospel. Past that, partnership goes deeper than having just this common identity. It also includes having a, a common purpose. All right, we must understand and embrace this if we're going to experience the joy of kingdom partnerships as we're designed to just like people in the military or on a sports team, they're brought together with common identity and a common purpose, so are we. So that the second point this morning, if you're taking notes, our kingdom partnerships will be joyful if we cooperate for the goals of the king. If we cooperate for the goals of the king. This is good news. If you're in Christ this morning, God has a purpose for your life. If you've believed and have been saved by the gospel, hear this. Jesus has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose in saving you. He has had a purpose in showing you love and mercy and forgiveness and grace. He has a purpose for giving you breath this morning. You want to know what it is? Read chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He gives them an instruction first. He tells them, do all things without grumbling or disputing. But then tells them the purpose. For this purpose that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. His purpose for your life this morning, his purpose for everyone in this room that has been called to Christ is this, that we would live as children of God without blemish or spot. You would do that in the midst of, of a world that is dark. And that our lives might radiate with the light of Christ. That our lives would be a testimony to the goodness and the grace of our Lord. 
that we together would serve as a, a lighthouse in a dark world. And how do we do that? Keep reading verse 16. It says this. It says, holding fast to the word of life. That means taking this book, which we believe is the word of God himself, and holding it fast. Holding it tightly like it deserves. This word is valuable to me. This is my life and I'm not going to let it go. I think these words here mean at least this much, but I also think there's more. I think the ESV just misses the mark of what's being communicated in, in, in these words. I think the better translation says not just holding fast, but rather holding forth. See, the Philippians were military people, like I said, and so these words would bring to mind for them that whenever the Roman military was marching in the dark, they would have a light that they hold out in front of the unit. Everyone could see it. They would hold that light forth. In the same way, think about a football game. There's, a, there's circumstances where the coach might give the instruction to the running back, whatever you do, don't fumble. Hold that ball tight. Right? The circumstances that a coach would tell the running back that is if the game is already practically won and you're just trying to run out the clock. There's really nothing to, to win here, but if you don't hold on to this ball, you'll lose it. So that's your only focus on your mind. Hold it fast. Hold it fast. But that's not the normal instruction. And I would say that's not the circumstances that we live in as a church. The normal instruction for a coach to the running back is you better hold on to that ball, but score. It's not just don't fumble, but score. You see that? There's a, there's a direction that we're headed to. Stop here for a second. I want us to see for a second that if there's a direction for our lives... Implications that we're not at the end of what God is doing in the world. God's purpose in your life doesn't stop with your life. God's purpose for your salvation doesn't stop with your salvation. God's purposes for Central Baptist Church don't stop with this group. Amen? We're not at the center, and we're not at the end of what God is doing in this world. By God's grace, we are a part of it. But that's just it. We're a small part of it for a much greater and much more glorious purpose. The same is true for your individual life and for your family, for a, a ministry team you might be a part of. We're part of a much larger, much greater purpose. And so if, uh, if partnership with one another, if partnership with other ministries, other churches is going to make sense to us at all, we need to see this. We need to see that Jesus' goals are much bigger than our lives. So whenever you list the goals in your life, what do I live for? What do I want to live for? If you're part of a ministry team, you're listing out goals for that ministry team. What do we exist for? I'd urge you to see past your immediate circle. To look to see what Jesus is doing in the world. And to find your life, your area of ministry, according to God's much larger 
purpose. We put our uh, vision frame back up on the screen here. As a church, we've, we've tried to do this for us corporately. To aim at goals that are bigger than just our church. We said that the, the king has a direction. That the gospel is moving a direction in us. I'd say it's at least two directions. Deep and wide. And this is how we frame it as a church. First place that we think God is moving in our church is deep. Towards maturity. If we've set a goal, we want everybody who's covenanted as a member of Central Baptist Church to be a healthy and mature disciple. That's the direction that the gospel is headed. That's the direction that Jesus is headed with our lives. But it goes past that. I think the direction that the gospel is headed in our lives ought to be out. So the the next goal that we've set is multiplication. Just looking at the, the couple of zip codes around our church, that there would be no person left, no people left that don't have access to a healthy church, that we would see this gospel saturated with the good news of our king. And then looking past our neighborhood, realizing there's places in the world that are much darker even than our own neighborhood and our own immediate context, and we want to be faithful to sin, to mobilize. This is the heart behind these goals. We want to have goals that accord with Jesus' greater goals. And that are bigger than just ourselves. And we realize that that vision is one that requires partnership. Quite simply, we we can't and we won't accomplish that on our own. Honestly, probably none of those three goals are goals that can be accomplished in just our power. So yes, we're, we're dependent on Jesus for his help. We're also dependent on partnerships. And so this is why we as a church have worked to create kingdom partnerships with other other congregations, other churches. By God's grace, God has given us many such partners, many churches that care about what's going on here in this group of people. I just want to read a quick list of churches that have partnered with in some way or another in recent years. And, And this is truly just a small list. Lawson Baptist Church. New Direction Baptist Church, African Baptist Church, Redeemer Fellowship, Life Connection Northeast, Summit Woods Baptist Church, Journey Baptist Church, McCarthy Baptist Church, Frederick Boulevard Baptist Church, Newbridge Baptist Church, First Baptist Church of Gower, Polo Baptist Church, First Baptist Wathena, Mount Moriah Baptist Church, Seminary Baptist Church, and, and truly that's just the start of the list. And apparently only the Baptist ones. <laughs> truly, these churches and organizations, they, they've been a blessing to us over the last several years and we've been so grateful to have their help Amen. we've needed it Amen. but here's where I want to stop us praise the Lord that God's given us individually and as a church kingdom partnerships it's obvious God's given us those things yet let us be careful because it's entirely possible to have partnerships and to do a bunch of good things, preach the gospel, make disciples, send missionaries. It's possible to have partners and do those things and not actually be good kingdom partners. It's entirely possible to be joyless in our kingdom partnerships. Look for an example at Philippians 1, 15 through 18. Paul describes a couple of guys and says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, but the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, 
not sincerely thinking, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So describes a couple guys there, they're doing good things. And just a couple lines later, Paul says, you know what? In the things that they're doing, I rejoice. Praise the Lord. They're preaching the gospel. I'll tell you this, their hearts are way off. And it's possible for us to be the same. Look over at uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Describes a couple of women that had, had labored side by side quite well with one another for quite some time. And their relationship was in a bad spot. Chapter 4, verse 2, it says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me for the gospel together. Like these were women that, at least at one point in their lives, they got it. They were part of a ministry team. They were working side by side with one another. But they're at a place in their life right now where they can't even come to agree. To a point where others in the church are having to come and intervene in their relationship. Had a partnership. But it wasn't a joyful kingdom partnership. I'm telling you, corporately and individually, this is possible. We want to experience the full joy of kingdom partnership. There has to be more than just direction, more than just strategy involved. Strategy really doesn't get us to the point where our hearts are ready to say with Paul, and if I'm poured out as a sacrificial offering on your faith, I rejoice. There's got to be something deeper happening, something in the heart that's happening if you want to be ready to say that. So these next two points, the last two points of the sermon, they're, they're really similar and they're, they're tied together, but I think they are distinct. But they're both matters of the heart of a joyful kingdom partner. The first one is this. Our kingdom partnerships will be joyful if we embrace the priority of the kingdom. If we embrace the priority of the kingdom. I think one of the aspects of partnering with other churches and other people that's difficult is that whenever you engage in any kind of partnership, when you step into that kind of relationship, you, you give up at least some level of control. That means there's going to be other people's preferences and ideas and agendas that are all of a sudden involved in your life. There's a, there's a genuine risk that comes at that point that you might lose something that you wanted. Some of y'all just got married recently, and you're probably figuring this out about right now. Like, man, whenever I was a single person, I just did whatever I wanted, when I wanted. But that lifestyle doesn't work quite as well in marriage. Compromise, sacrifice, forfeiting your right to have complete control over every outcome. These things come with the territory of entering into a partnership. The only reason that Paul would say, even if I'm poured out for you, I rejoice. The only reason he would say that is because he thought that it was a legitimate possibility. I might come out on the bottom of this and deal, and it'll be for you. I lose everything that I had intended. But he says, I'm prepared for that. I'm prepared for that outcome. It seems that the reason that Paul was prepared for such an outcome is that there was a clear priority ranking system in his heart. He had a clear system of differentiating between the things that are of higher value and the things that are of lower value. 
This idea comes to the surface over in Philippians chapter 1. You might be familiar with this passage where in uh, verse 21 he says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, live or die, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, so that your progress and joy, for your progress and joy in the faith. So read verse 20 with me also. Chapter 1 says, It's my eager expectation, my hope, that I will not at all be ashamed. But with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see his priority there. This one thing matters most to me. That Christ would be honored in my body, in my life, whether by life or by death. I think that's exactly why, back in 2 verse 17, he could say, even if I'm poured out, I rejoice. Even if I lose everything, I'm happy because my top priority is secured. It'll be accomplished. Christ will be honored. I think that's the same thought that comes to the surface here in uh, chapter 4, verse 11. He says, not that I speak of uh, being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He says, I've got the honor and glory of Christ at the top of my priority ranking system. The whole rest of my priorities only have value so far as they help me to accomplish this one. And that means these little things that used to have so much sway over me, like whether I was hungry or had food to eat, those things don't affect me as much anymore. So yeah, I can, I can be poured out for you. I'll rejoice in that. I'm well supplied and more. Christ is my king and he's a good one. I used to be anxious about whether I would have work that was fulfilling, whether I had a position that was in control, whether I had people that respected me or liked me, if I had a nice house or enough time on the weekends. But I learned the secret. Are you ready? None of that matters. There's only one thing that does. And that is that Christ is honored in our lives. The one thing that matters to me is that I live in a way that allows people to see the light of Christ in me. You know, if, if Paul was anxious about being able to control the outcome in his relationship with the Philippians, there would have been no way he could have said, if I'm poured out for you, I'll rejoice. But because his priorities and his heart were clear, it caused him no anxiety at all. I think this is exactly what Jesus had in mind in Matthew 6.33. When on the Sermon on the Mount, he said this. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added to you. 
I uh, heard an illustration one time of a, of a guy that held up a jar like this in a college classroom. He's teaching his students at the beginning of the semester, and he says, this jar is your life. And then he took out a bunch of big rocks, and he put them in the jar, and he says, is this jar full? And seeing that the jar was full to the brim with those big rocks, he said, yeah, that jar is full. And then from under the desk, he pulled out some smaller rocks and began to pour them over and shook it so they sifted down into it. He said, is this jar full? I said, no, I don't think it's full. I said, you're right. He takes out a bag of sand and pours sand into the jar. Fills it up to the brim with sand. So how about now? Is this jar full? Yeah, it's full now. He pours out a, pulls out a jug of water. Pours water over this whole thing. Fills it up to the brim of the water. And he says, now this jar is full. And he asks him, he says, what's the... What's the purpose of this illustration? College students think about the semester they had ahead. They're like, you can always squeeze in the things you need to. He said, that's not the point. He said, imagine if you would have put the water into this jar first. And then you try to put the sand in. And then you try to put the small rocks in. Already at that point, you'd have a mess. And then imagine at that point trying to put the big rocks in. If you orient your life around small things, there will be no room for the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus tells him, seek this first. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Everything else will be added to you. There will be room for those things. Your father in heaven is a good and gracious father. He loves you and he is sovereign over the outcome. You'll have what you need. Listen to me. Seek first the kingdom of God. Bless us. Arduous. Even then. The enemy to this heart posture is what I call sinful anxiety. Sinful anxiety is a fear that we will not have all that we need. But the key to curing sinful anxiety is knowing the goodness of your king. If you learn that, if you learn the secret to contentment, which is being able to do all things through him who strengthens you, you'll be freed up for better partnerships, for joyful partnerships. The final point, it's, uh, it's closely intertwined with this, but it is distinct. The point number four is this. Our kingdom partnerships will be joyful if we imitate the posture of the king. I say that these two points are intertwined because I, I think that your posture is simply a reflection of your priorities. So we're, we're kind of tracing the same point just a little further downstream here. But there is a really specific posture that is brought out in this book that Paul says is a real threat to the Philippians' kingdom partnership. And honestly, above anything else, I think that for us, this is the biggest threat to the quality of our kingdom partnerships. Selfish ambition. 
Sinful anxiety, we define that as fear that we will not have all that we need. I define selfish ambition as a fear that someone else might get more of what we want. Fear that someone else might get more of what we want. More credit, more glory, more honor, more praise, more respect, more recognition from the front, more opportunities, more responsibilities, a better position, a better view on what's happening, a better connection, a better conversation. Like these guys in chapter 1, verse 15, that preach Christ with the wrong motives. Yeah, they, they do good things and they preach Christ, but their, their hearts are way off. Paul identifies it. The problem is selfish ambition. And I'm telling you, this sin is crippling. This sin is always crouching at the door, ready to corrupt and to rob the joyful quality of our relationships with one another and our partnerships with others. Tempting us to view each other not as co-laborers, but as competitors. You felt that before, right? Man, this person gets more recognition than I do. And I don't like that. This kind of ministry that someone else is passionate about gets more attention than this kind of ministry that I'm passionate about. And I don't like that. Nobody seems to respect how much I'm sacrificing and how much I'm really doing around here. And I don't like that. I am tired because I've been wrung out like a sponge trying to care for other people and know them and be known. And no one seems to care about me. And I don't like that. It's not a joyful place to be, is it? And how different is it from what Paul said? Even if I am to be poured out sacrificial offering on your faith. I'll rejoice even then. I don't want to be heavy into here, but like we've got to know this, that selfish ambition will absolutely plunder and rob our joy. If we give it a foothold, selfish ambition will corrupt every one of our kingdom partnerships. If we are left to our fallen condition, we will look around the church and be wondering, why is everyone else not serving me? And instead of joyfully building the kingdom together, you will spin your wheels trying to coerce and compel your fellow servants of Christ to become servants of you. We can do this at any level, as an individual, as a family, as a ministry group, and as a church. We need to be careful. This is at the heart of the issue. The question, is it better to serve or to be served? A joyful kingdom partner is someone who looks at others and says, I want to do whatever it takes to help you succeed in building the kingdom. It's the complete opposite of the worldly mindset that says, I want to use you to accomplish what I want. So what do we do? What do we do when we feel or see selfish ambition sneaking up in our lives? What do we do when we find that sinful anxiety or selfish ambition are crippling our kingdom partnerships? Four steps. One, I would say, identify it and call it by name. Second, 
Say, remember your priorities. Remember your priorities. I think this is why things like a mission statement, a vision frame are so helpful to have. They help us to have a reference point that we can come back to and say, no, these are the things that I value. But even individually, we have to be able to pull back away from the situation to gain perspective on our priorities and evaluate our heart against them. Third step, I would say return to the source of greater joy. The reason that Paul had been freed up to be joyful as a kingdom partner is he found a source of joy that was greater than recognition. A source of joy that was greater than accomplishment. A source of joy that was greater than comfort or success. His source was the honor and glory of his king, which strengthened him in every circumstance. Return to the source of greater joy in the fourth step if needed. Repent, reconcile, and return to battle. So application for this sermon happens at two levels for us. Number one is the church. At the corporate level, I just want to give us a snapshot real quick. I, I made a list earlier. Um, but these are from, from Pastor Samuel. Uh, just a snapshot of a few churches that have, have really been gracious and sacrificial towards us as kingdom partners. Just to help us to see into them. Lawson Baptist Church, Pastor Jesse was down not long ago. And they pray for us every Sunday morning during their pre-service prayer time. Last summer, they hosted a VBS for us, and Lord willing, this August, they'll do so again. They've helped pay for the lights in this sanctuary. These new doors on either side of the stage have come from them. They've come down, sent their people to partner with us in evangelism. They've purchased training resources for us. Sent their men down to work at a church work day. Many more things. Summit Woods Baptist Church has provided ongoing personal mentorship to Pastor Samuel. They've invited a group of us to come to leadership trainings free of charge. They've sent money for special offerings. They've paid for Pastor Samuel to go on two out-of-state conferences. They've sent Bibles to us. They've given us, have you seen all those million-dollar bill gospel tracts? Got like a million of them? All came from Summit Woods. They also sent a speaker last year to speak at the marriage retreat and just continue to be a tremendous source of encouragement to Pastor Samuel in the ministry. Pastor, I realize we've got six families in this church that live on support raise salaries to do different kinds of ministry in the area. If you count it up, there are hundreds of individuals and families and churches who are supporting the ministry that's going on right here in this neighborhood. It's absolutely incredible to see the amount, just the sheer amount of financial contributions that are being invested in our church. Not just from inside our church, but from outside our church. And this is truly just a snapshot really doesn't even begin to tell the story of the amount of help that we've received. I want you to see that and to know it. There are lots of Christians out there that care about what's going on in this room and in this neighborhood. And that's encouraging, but it's also really heavy. So let us be careful and keep watch. Let us keep our eyes focused on the things that are above so we don't miss the point. Because it would be a shame if we had that much partnership, that good of partnership, and we settled for the goal of making a name of Central Baptist Church. 
and forget that we have been saved for the purpose of glorifying our King together with them. Individually, at the bottom of the note sheet in your bulletin, I I put just a few individual application questions that I hope might be helpful for reflection on this. I would encourage you to take some time, and if you have any thoughts, that kind of just journal down these things. They're pretty broad questions, but I think even then they can be helpful. The first is this. What are the primary goals of your life? Just thinking through, what are those things that you can come back to? They're going to orient your whole life. Next question that's right there with that. Who do you count right now as partners in those things? It can be people in your family, people in this church, someone else. What are your goals and who are your partners? Next question. In what ways do you see sinful anxiety or selfish ambition affect your relationship with other believers right now? And the last one, what do you think is your next step in pursuing joyful kingdom partnerships? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are good. We sincerely do want to live lives that bring honor and glory to your name. You've been faithful to save us. God, you are faithful each day to keep us and to sanctify us. We desire that you would get the glory that you deserve out of our lives. Help us, Lord, individually and all together to be good and faithful, joyful kingdom partners. Help us to honor one another and support one another and build one another up. For the sake of your kingdom. Teach us, Lord, I pray that uh, if there's any way that's offensive in us to your heart, uh, any sinful anxiety, any selfish ambition, that you would clean us. God, that you would call us out of those things. Help us to live in a way that's true to the glorifying of you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.